If you don't have your Bible, it'll be behind me on the screen as well. So, Joel chapter 3, verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares in the swords and your pruning hooks in the spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. May God bless the reading of his word. So we're in Joel, and again we're talking about judgment. That wonderful thing that we always like to discuss, am I right? Um, I mean, really, who likes to talk about judgment? It's, It's hard, it's kind of rough, and, you know, we're people who love people, so it's not always easy to talk about when that time comes. But the truth is, is that judgment does come, and that's something that Joel has been emphasizing as a prophet of God. Um, However... We finally get to that hint of hope again. And if you ever notice in in Amos, the same thing happened where there was judgment, 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 hope. Um, And that's where we're going to see today. It's going to start today. So verses 9 and 10. Proclaim this among the nations, consecrate for war, stir up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares in the swords and your pruning hooks in the spears, let the weak say, I am a warrior. So this verse begins with a reversal of the previous chapter when Joel prophesied that they should consecrate themselves for a fast and a solemn assembly. That was for the nation of Judah to turn in repentance and faith. Now, however, there is a different consecration, one specifically for a declaration of war. The coming of battle is clearly seen within the verse. The mighty men are specifically called up, those who knew battle. It would be similar to those who have toured in our own time. These men were mighty, who had strength and experience in battle. This is further established with the men of war, men who have experienced uh, are called up for this war. Yet it does not end with the men of war. We notice that the plowshares are called to be beaten into swords and pruning hooks into spears. This again, it's a reversal of what is to come in the age of peace when warfare will end. Now, however, there is war. Those nations who are called to come against God are told to bring every possible weapon for the battle ahead. The verse concludes with a fascinating call. If you remember, when the solemn assembly of the previous chapter was called, um, when the fast was called and consecrated, all people were called to participate. It did not matter the age or their status. Now we see the same thing. The weak are called to do battle. Even those who would not normally be joined for such military purpose are. They say, I am a warrior. It ultimately shows that all the people of these nations are called to be combatants for their nation's war. 
Now, verses 11 and 12. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. So the nations are called to come, and they're called to come quickly. Be gathered where they have been called to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And as you remember from last week, that means the valley of judgment. We notice it is not just the warriors who are called to gather, but the whole nations themselves are called together. At such a display of the nations, Joel simply cries out, Bring down your warriors, O Lord! For indeed, such a sight to behold, it would just be so vast. For in this moment, all nations have been brought forward for war. They are all armed for the coming battle against the Lord. One might wonder why God would be calling the nations to such warfare. It likely reminds us of the hearts of the people of these nations. They will certainly not come quietly to their judgment. Instead of recognizing the judgment which is to take place, they would rather come to battle, to dethrone God, something which humanity has done since the fall. So in this last moment of judgment, God calls all of these nations to come to this judgment. To bring their arms, their warriors, bring all their people for battle. We could wonder to what end of such a battle will be. Who can stand against such a sight as all the nations, all the peoples, being brought to this valley of judgment? Well, verses 13 and 14 tell us, Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in. Tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. In the previous verses, we saw how Joel called upon the Lord to bring down his warriors. Throughout Joel, we have seen the common theme of harvest being used to describe situations. Um, Previously, such harvests were to show blessing upon the people of God. And now, however, the harvest represents the nations who have come against God. The harvest is ripe. The winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Yet along with this recognition of the ripeness of the evil, God will put the sickle to the harvest. He will send in his armies to crush the grapes as women who crush for the wine. Though evil may be great within the nations, their evil is no match for the justice and righteousness of God. Though they come against him in the valley, they shall not win. Evil shall not win against the Lord. Multitude, multitudes in the valley of decision we read. The day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The valley of decision does not mean a valley in which those who are in it need to decide what they will do. Instead, the decision represents God's own decision for judgment. He will bring judgment. That is the decision. Those who are evil will not escape the day of the Lord. Instead, they will face the judgment reserved for those who are against God. Now, verses 15 and 16. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. Joel further emphasizes the day of Lord uh, motif we find here. 
The sun and the moon are darkened, the stars withdraw their shining. It is a common theme within the Old Testament that darkness goes hand in hand with judgment. It is seen even in the law as a curse for disobedience that darkness would come over the land. Thus the darkness now represents the great darkness of the final judgment, when all light is cast aside. Joel then proclaims what Amos did, that the Lord roars from Zion. Such a roar indicates the preparation of battle. It shows his strength and his might. Similar to when a lion roars acknowledging its power, so too the Lord roars from the holy city over the nations. In this roar, all the heavens and the earth, they quake. Clearly we are seeing the day of the Lord has come. This is the final day of the Lord, when all nations will be judged according to their deeds. Though they reject God and have gone out against him, in the end they will not be able to stand firm against his great judgment. For in this moment the earth and the heavens quake from just his voice, let alone his power. Yet this is still an element of hope at the end. For the people of God, the Lord is a refuge and a stronghold to the people of Israel. For the people of God... Such a display will not make them quake. It will not make them shake. Instead, they will be able to stand firm because God is with them and for them rather than against them. Now, the main point. The main point of this section is to describe the great day of the Lord which is to come. In this vision of the future, we see the coming judgment against all the nations. When the day of judgment comes, the nations and all their people will find themselves overwhelmed by the power of God Almighty. Despite their great armies, against the power of God they are weak. Yet, there is hope for those who belong to God, for they will find salvation on that day. Alright, so what's some applications we can come from this? Uh, The first I thought of was in the valley. Within the text, we deal with an issue of great importance. And that is the coming day of the Lord. As we remember, there were multiple days of the Lord when God would intercede, especially in the Old Testament era. In particular, we see it with the prophets when they warned the people of Israel that the day of the Lord would come and it would not be there for their benefit. Uh, We remember this especially in the prophet Amos who declared that the nation of Israel in particular would be exiled. That day did happen. God did exile the Israel, through the Assyrians in 722. Yet the day of the Lord, which is described here, is not like that day. That day had the people of Israel being exiled because of their breaking of the law. Now, however, we see a day which all the nations are to be judged. God even invites the nations to come to do battle against him. They had already been battling against God, So in a final confrontation, he invites them to this great battle in the Valley of Decision. And so they come. They do not seem to hesitate. They willingly bring their arms, their weapons. They bring their mighty men, their men of valor. They bring their weak. Even the weaker warriors on this day. They bring all the people who would stand with them. All the people of their nations. They bring all of their strength against God. To essentially say no to God. They come to the valley of decision already having decided that they were going to say no to the judgment of God. Instead of submitting to him, instead of honoring him, glorifying him, 
praising him. And instead of rightly fearing him, they choose to do away with God. The people come at the beckoning of God, it is true, but consider it. It is a beckoning for a final confrontation. A final conclusion to a long human legacy of how individuals refuse the lordship of God. The fact that they have already brought themselves to this point in the valley of decision makes it clear the decision has been made. But that also means the decision is made by God to reveal his own might against them. Though they may seem powerful by many standards, against God and his power and the powers, they are brought low. As the prophet declares, bring down your warriors, O God. As such, God's armies are greater than any army of man. They can easily trample underfoot even all of these enemies of the nations. It is no contest to the reality of what we see. The nations refuse to acknowledge God, therefore they will face judgment. The nations previously were seen to face judgment for their sins against the people of God. Now the nations will face judgment for their own crimes. For the prophet reminds us of the evil from these nations, and that evil is great. So what does this remind us of? Ultimately, it reminds us of a few things. The first is that judgment is surely coming against the wicked. It is not something which can be easily disregarded. On the day of the Lord, the valley of judgment, the valley of decision, there will be a point when it all comes to a head. God will not be the one beaten down. Instead, he will be the one who is victorious. It also reminds us that God is the judge of the world. There is no other judge but God. There may be powers of darkness and even rulers of physical and supernatural origin. But in the end, only God, only Yahweh, is truly the king and ultimately the only sovereign ruler over all. It is his kingdom come. It is his will be done. And we can be sure that this will be the ultimate conclusion of the world. In this then... We have great encouragement to continue forward. For it reminds us that God is strong. And if we are weak, which we are, we know God is strong in us. It reminds us even if the powers of darkness are strong. And even stronger than we are in our own right. um, That God is even greater than them within us. Though the battle may be long. And though it may make us weary we can know that those who continue will find their strength in him and ultimately find their peace. The valley of decision, it's not occurred yet. The nations have not faced their judgment yet. But there will come a time when all the nations do in fact face their judgment, for God is judge. For that, we should be vigilant in our own nation our own culture, and with our own people groups. We should remain steadfast to proclaim the gospel of salvation, for it is through the gospel that salvation comes. Faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who redeems us, who purchases us from death unto life. There is still time for every person breathing to be transformed by the gospel. As such, be bold. And be willing to be used for God, or by God, for his glory, to be a messenger proclaiming the gospel of Christ for life. 
We are called to be messengers in the world around us, and to this we must be faithful. The valley of decision is coming. Prepare yourselves by proclaiming the gospel and believing the gospel now and forever. Now, all of that reminds us of a second point. And that's of our own reality in this dark world as Christians, as children of God in Christ. If we have placed our faith in Christ, then we are declared children of God because of Christ. As such, God promised that the world would hate us just as it hated him. Therefore, we will experience our own forms of injustices. We will face our own battles. We will face our own armies of darkness, whether they be figurative in the supernatural and spiritual realm or even in the physical realm. Yet we find is that because God is victorious, we can be sure that we too will be victorious if we belong to him. Thus all fear is wiped away in the face of any adversary who comes before us. For we know our God, and we know of his triumph over sin, over darkness, and even death through his son Jesus Christ. As such, we know that no adversary is strong enough to pluck us from the hand of God Almighty, because God is far stronger than any adversary. Do you know what kind of adversaries we have as humans? We have many. We have both natural and supernatural enemies, from within and from without. But the greatest adversary we have before, keyword, before our redemption is not angels, it's not demons, and it's not sin. That sounds strange, but consider this truth. If there is no God to judge, then sin doesn't matter. It's only because there is a God that sin has any meaning of being worthy of judgment. So in today's text, we receive something of a bit of evidence of this. Consider the final verse. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. What does this verse come after? It comes directly after the description of God roaring from Zion. It is his voice which causes the earth and the heavens to quake. So against this, do we really believe that the people need refuge from the armies coming against God? I would say no. They need protection from God himself. This is why we find for the people of God, those who are children of Israel, that God is not the enemy, but the refuge. Though he roars, though the heavens and the earth quake, we have no reason to fear. We have nothing to be afraid of as the valley of decision occurs. The enemies of God, we know, are trampled by God's power, and God himself the one who tramples over them, is our refuge. Indeed, this is actually speaking of us if we are quick to listen. For we must remember that the children of Israel also includes those who are in Christ by faith. If we believe in Christ by faith, we are called children of the promise, and the promise fulfilled by God through Abraham and Christ. Thus we too have found a great refuge in our God. How marvelous is this? That when we should have all reason to shake in fear, 
we find that the very reason why all else shakes is really our safety. How wonderful to consider that once we too would be trampled, we too would be brought low by the power of God, just by his voice. And yet through Christ, because of his atoning sacrifice, because we have been redeemed by his blood, we have a great refuge instead. And that refuge is our God. In this, we should keep our thoughts. We have nothing to fear at the final judgment. In fact, we have nothing to fear in any judgment. For God, the judge, finds us in Christ, and in Christ we have found assurance for our salvation. So when the world stands still in awe and in fear, we stand on a firm foundation, knowing that the bastion of our faith, our great refuge, will never let us down. Our God is great. He is wonderful in all of his ways. When we read a text like this one, we should all praise God for what he has done. And all I can do is encourage you, urge you to turn towards this refuge every day. For this world will send its adversaries against us. But once we have been given peace with God, and we are at war with all of these oppositions against him, we know our God is greater than them and stronger and in him we will find our refuge against them, but more importantly, against himself in judgment. Now naturally, uh, uh, there it is. Naturally, this leads us to the gospel. And we consider the gospel. Again, I keep on asking every week. What am I asking? Where do you see the gospel in Joel? Where do you see the gospel today? In what aspect? What way? I can think of at least three. <laughs> And Mike's probably thinking, I can think of all of them, because <laughs> he's smarter than I am. But, okay, the gospel. What is the gospel? What is this good news? Well, it begins with our origins. We were all created in the image of God. God created all things by the power of his word. He spoke things into existence. I mean, when we think about how powerful God is, just imagine that the greatest stars and all the galaxies and all the people and all the grains of sand... And all the molecules go from lowest to highest. All things were simply spoken into existence by God. How wonderful. And then when you think about it, he creates humanity very different than anything else. Humanity he breathes his spirit into. We are created in his image. And that imprint on us, it's wonderful. Because that means that we are different than any other thing. It means that when he looks at us, the word for, um, let me just go back a second. Okay, the word for image in the Old Testament. Do you guys know what that means? What it's, remi- what it's rem- reminiscent of? An idol. And back in the day, when they would have idols in their temples, the gods would imbue these idols with their spirit, their essence, so to speak. So do you want to know why God says no idolatry? Because he already has his idols. We're the idols. Each and every one of us. We're all the imprints of this great God in heaven. He doesn't need idols of stone. He has idols of flesh. Um, And that sounds a little weird, but think about it for a while. (laughs) And you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
But that's the point, though. And because of that, we also have these other attributes that God has, things that other animals don't quite reach or other created beings don't quite reach. We have uh, the ability to reason. We have the ability to love. We have the ability to um, show each other kindness, mercy, grace, compassion, that we're able to have personhood, that you are different from everybody else, completely different. You may have similar attributes, but no one's like you personally. That's wonderful to consider. And why, ha- why do you have that? Because God is the same way. He's Trinity. He has three different persons in his nature. And so that's where our origins lie. And because of that, you know, we understand the sanctity, the dignity, the worth of every human life. The problem is, though, is that like God, we're able to choose. The valley of decision indeed. You see... Humanity, we chose to choose to go against God. We chose to um, stand firm against him. We chose to sin against God. And we've been continuing to make that choice ever since. And because of that, our relationships are broken. We're broken inside. We're broken with our relationship with God above. We're broken with each other. And we're broken also with the world around us. All because of sin. You see, we're breakers of a law. We're breakers because... We have other gods before God because we lie, we cheat, we steal. And one sin is worthy of judgment. Just one. Go ask Adam and Eve if you think I'm lying. It only took one sin to cast him out. Because God is that holy. He is that great. Now the question is, if we're so broken, how are we made right with God? If we can't really do it ourselves because we're already broken, it would be like, I used the expression last week of a mouse trap. A broken mouse trap isn't going to catch any mice, is it? It's not going to be able to fix itself either. So we need something else to fix us. And luckily, God does that through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came, he died, he lived, he died, and he rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. And he is the reason why we are able to be fixed with God. It's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done. It's not, uh, okay, eventually if you keep on being good enough, you'll be able to be saved. No, it's a matter of Jesus Christ died on the cross and he accomplished it. It is finished. It is not about to be finished. It is finished by his word, by his death, by who and what he has done. And so all that is required of us is faith in him. And yes, we do turn in repentance. We do turn from our lifestyles of sin, but that's not what saves us. That's just showing that we are saved. And so, because of that, it leads to our future. After God has saved us, there's only one question. There's only one question at the Valley of Decision beforehand, and that's what we decide now. Are we going to submit to this Lord? Are we going to give ourselves over in faith and repentance, or are we not? Because the future changes drastically with that decision. For those who do not, it leads to judgment as we saw today. It leads to that final moment of confrontation where either you'll be standing there quaking and shaking or not. If you do turn, however, in faith and repentance, then you know what? You don't shake and you don't quake when the Lord speaks. Instead, you have a foundation, a refuge. And that is God himself. And you know what? 
You are considered righteous. You're considered loved. And God will be with you forevermore. His spirit within you. That is where our great hope lies. And as we read Joel, we consider all of that. We see all of that. The promise is going to happen. The judgment will happen. But you know what? There's hope for each and every one of us. There's hope because God gave us hope. And a hope from God is far greater than any other hope because we know that his promises are sure. So it's with that we say praise the Lord. We say thank you, God, for what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's through that we say amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for all that you have accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, too, that you are a God who is worthy of worship. We thank you that you are a God who did not remain quiet inside of our sin, but instead you spoke into it. You spoke into our world, and you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross so that we, too, might find life. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who is vast, magnificent, beyond words, beyond comprehension even, but that you're also imminent with us, guiding us, showing us the truth of your cross and of your glory. And so, Lord, we ask that you would continue to guide us and continue to lead us ever further into your kingdom. And we ask that we would continue to seek out your Son, Jesus Christ, the bastion of our faith. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn.